Adam Crowley. Uh, I want to talk about what the hell you guys are doing on that cheese cheese. I, I really don't want to Google condoms, noses on my uh, work computer. So The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. A KDKA news report suggests that you call 911 if you find a snapping turtle in your yard. I'm suggesting that you don't, and that you just leave the creature alone. Although I once called 911 on my mother-in-law, and I've also called 911 while intoxicated to report a deer crossing the road. As a kid, I once accidentally called 911 due to a friend's prank. You know what? If you want to call the police to get rid of a snapping turtle, I get it. Maybe it's time for you to come out of your shell. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. I also called the cops when some drunk dude was trying to get into my house in Morgantown. He probably just thought that my place was his place. I've called 911 a lot, but I would not call it for a snapping turtle. Brian LaMartina sitting across from me typically is not here right now. Tom, who is always shirtless, was not here on time for the show meeting. Does that mean Brian was late for the show? It does not. Tom, however, was late for the show meeting, and that means we're going to have to punish him. So we are taking suggestions on how we're going to do it, and we will be doing it at 540 on Friday. Don't know what it's going to be, but we are open to suggestions, and, well, you know how to get involved. Tim Williams of PiratesProspects.com, which is a fabulous site, says that Pirates fans should be embarrassed that their boycott is continuing, even though the Bucks have a winning record a quarter of the way through the season. Hey, Pirates fans, do what you want. I've called for a Pirates mutiny, argh, but this is organic. It's not about whether or not there's an organized mutiny. It's about the perception of Bob Nutting in the way that he runs the organization. The prevailing sentiment among baseball fans in this town is that the dude doesn't care about winning and he doesn't put profits back into the baseball team. In terms of attendance percentage, they're 25th in Major League Baseball, filling up 42.7% of the stadium. They're ahead of the White Sox, the Reds, the Orioles, the Marlins, and the Indians. Only the Indians in that group have had a lot of recent success. They're the favorite still to win their division this year. In terms of average attendance, they're only ahead of Tampa, the White Sox, and the Marlins. They're averaging just over 16,000 people per night. Before this weekend, that number was hovering around 12,000. After the first of the three games this series, when McCutcheon was in town, Jordy Mercer said, quote, When the fans were here, seeing him, obviously we wanted to play well and show them that we're a force to be reckoned with. We did that tonight, and hopefully they'll come back for more. Hopefully they come back to see us when just anybody's in town. That's what we wanted, but... It's also in the clubhouse. That's the biggest thing. We keep everything in here and feed off each other, and whatever happens out there happens out there. End quote. I understand why it's frustrating for the team. They're playing good ball, and they want the ballpark to be filled. Fans might be punishing the team inadvertently, but the intention is to punish the ownership. Yes, I understand the Pirates are a small market team. Yes, I get that they probably should have let McCutcheon go since he's on the backside of his career, but can you imagine where this team would be if they had Garrett Cole on the mound. They're a starting pitcher away from being a team that you can really believe in. Cole, Tyon, Nova, Williams, Kingham, they would be good enough to, I think, at least get a wild card spot. But the Pirates were so cheap 
that they did not want to pay for Garrett Cole's arbitration years. Bob Nutting and Neil Huntington are all about extending the window to win without maximizing their chances at any point in said window. It's why their payroll's always roughly the same. It's why they're usually mediocre as all get out. So, Tim, when you say, watch the Pirates now, they're a good team, I say, imagine how good they'd be if they had their current roster plus Garrett Cole. A lot of the conversation right now centers around whether or not they should put Musgrove in the rotation or the pen. Should they bring up Nick Kingham or not? It's all about the rotation. A problem that they already should have had solved by having a great pitcher at the top of the staff. So, Pirates fans, here's my message to you. If you want to go to the park and watch a good baseball team, that's fine. They are good right now. If you're like me and you're watching the good team in person, probably makes you think what could have been. Fine. But here's one thing that you're not, and one thing that Tim Williamson said you were. Stupid. If the front office is going to come up short in the offseason, then I don't see why it's anybody's place to tell you that you're coming up short now by not going to games. Williams takes some shots at you in this column. He calls you stupid. He calls you stubborn. I suggest that he give it another try in his application of those words, this time using them to describe the Pirates' front office. They're stubborn because they won't break from their philosophy of kicking the can to keep the window open longer without ever trying to go all in on the window. And they're stupid because they think that we're just going to show up to their games because the stadium is beautiful and the weather is nice. Furthermore, that's right, I'm dropping a furthermore. Tim Williams assumes that we should think the team is going to be good this year just because he thinks the team's going to be good this year. There's a very real possibility that they come down to earth. I hope they don't. I like good baseball, but 40 games through the season isn't exactly a great time to do the I told you so thing. Tim Williams standing at the top of his, I don't know, three-story apartment should not be screaming to the world, the Pirates are a good baseball team. I was right. You were wrong. Because, again, they have to play 40 games three more times. That's right. They're only 25% of the way through this bitch. We don't know if they're good. We don't have to buy in yet. Calm down. Summer is more fun when your team is playing for something. But this wasn't supposed to be a great baseball team, and they still very well might not be a great baseball team. This next stretch is huge for them. Large. If they can go 7-2 and two against these bad teams, then maybe they'll get some believers. Time will tell. Adam Barry, who covers the Pirates for MLB.com, will join us today at 4.20. That's in about 13 minutes to talk about the Pirates and where they are after the first quarter of the season. Yeah, FYI, Daniel Sprung is not Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel had a tremendous regular season and an equally as awful postseason. Reading between the lines, Sullivan was pissed at Phil for not ending his Ironman streak at the end of the season when he got hurt. But Phil had the best season of his career. He racked up 34 goals and 92 points. He was 7th in the league in scoring, which is the same total as Anze Kopitar, who was one of the three finalists for the Hart Trophy. There's a couple ways you could look at that. One, Phil could be traded right now, and the Penguins could sell him at their highest point. Two, he's indispensable and invaluable to this team, and therefore you don't want to trade him. I'll choose the latter. 
The Penguins had three top ten players in the scoring race, and still the Penguins were a few losses away from not making the playoffs this season. They needed every one of Malkin and Phil and Crosby's points to get them into the dance. Without Phil, they'd not have won the Cup the last two seasons, and they probably don't make the playoffs this year. Many, and I mean many people, have compared Daniel Sprong to Phil Kessel over the last couple of days. Both aren't great defensively, although I think Phil tries hard to get back and affect the rush. Both can score goals. Both play right wing. The similarities are endless. I slurred that one. These similarities are endless. It's been suggested that since the Penguins have their own little Kessel, why not trade Big Kessel? It makes sense from this standpoint. The Penguins do have too many right wings, and Sullivan would probably lose his mind having to coach both those players. Here's why I would deal with the headache, though. Sprong had a great season in the AHL, 65 points and 32 goals in 65 games. But Kessel had one of the best scoring-producing seasons in the NHL this year. Sprong's going to score, but he ain't going to score like that, at least not yet. Plus, you want as many cheap, cost-controlled options as you can to fill out the roster. Think about the lines if they keep both dudes. Gensel, Crosby, Sprong. I'm Sprung. Haglin, Malkin, Hornquist, Sherry, Broussard, Kessel, Aston, Reese, Shahan, Rust. Oh, my God, I'm getting hot and bothered. Now that's a lineup. The Penguins could try to part with Haglin or Sherry to clear some cap space, but if you add Sprong to the rotation without getting rid of Phil, bang, the forwards get significantly deeper. Bang, you've added a goal scorer, and FYI, it's not like the Penguins scored a bunch in that Capital Series. That was an issue in the playoffs this year. Gensel and Sid might work hard enough defensively to offset what Sprong's shortcomings might be. The Malkin and the Swedes line is good at both ends. Broussard works hard on the defensive end, but that line would need to play north in order to be effective. And the fourth line has a legit shot at driving possession with Rust and Shane. That's how I'd play it. Because remember, for as many similarities as there are between Phil and Sprong, the similarities end at NHL success. Kessel's had it. Daniel has not which is kind of a big deal. Therefore, the Penguins shouldn't move Kessel. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Yesterday was the anniversary of the Volick goal against the Penguins to eliminate them in 1993. ruh raggy One of the worst losses in Pittsburgh sports history. The Penguins were favorites that year. They had an opportunity to win the Cup for the third year in a row, and they failed to an Islanders team that was meh. Is that the worst loss you can remember? I was three, so I don't really remember it. Was it when Sid slid in 1992? Was it the Steelers versus the Chargers in 1994? How about Scotty Reynolds through the heart of the pit defense to take Nova to the Final Four? I'm young. For me, it's 13-9. I mean, West Virginia fan had to be, duh, but the 2001 AFC Championship game was a killer. Steelers roll in, top rushing attack in the league. They've got Jerome Bettis. They've got Slash at quarterback. That was a really darn good football team. And they lost to the Patriots, the upstart Patriots, and some snot-nosed rookie named Tom Brady. And they lost because they gave up a couple of special teams touchdowns. Whoops. And that started the dynasty. That's probably the one I'll go with. 2004, though, uh, that hurt like a bitch, too. Uh, that one stung. 
I was there with my buddy Pat and my father, and I was still young enough where I cried at sporting events. Yeah, I cried. Plexico Burris had a ball go right through his hands in the end zone. It would have brought the Steelers back to within, I think, a touchdown late in that game. Ben Roethlisberger, who had led the Steelers to a 14-1 and record throughout the regular season, wound up not playing well the week prior against the Jets and then against the Patriots. Well, he coughed all over himself. Yeah, that stunk. So what say you? What are your hardest losses to swallow? Which ones made you cry? Tom, what made you cry, pal? I teared up at the Scotty Reynolds one. Was that the best college basketball team you've ever seen in person? The Pitt one? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they were the best team in the country that year. I really would have loved to see them go up against North Carolina, the eventual champion. And It's just the fact that he it, it was going from a high to such a low with tying the game up with the free throws and thinking, oh, we're going to overtime. We got it in overtime. We're a better, more talented team. Two seconds, it's over. I watched West Virginia go to the Final Four my first year of college. That was a damn good basketball team. That's a heartbreaking moment in that Final Four. It was because Deshaun Butler got hurt. But what I was going to say is, even though that team was excellent and you have to be to get to a Final Four, that Pitt team was so good. Because uh, they were a top 3-5 team all season long. They beat the snot out of those UConn Husky basketball squads that people said was the best team in the country. Hashim Thabit was the co-Big East Player of the Year with Dewan Blair, who ate his lunch both times they played. That one stunk. Also, in the same uh, lane, Pitt football, though, against Cincinnati, the year that oh. they just came off of losing to West Virginia in Morgantown. They just need to beat Cincinnati at home to take home the Big East Championship. And they come out to like a 21-7 to lead, blow that lead. Cincinnati takes the lead. Pitt comes back, scores a touchdown. They're down by an extra point, and they fumble the snap on the extra point attempt, and Pitt loses to Cincinnati and went from being like 9-1 and one and number 8 in the country to losing two games in a row and just falling out. I was really happy with that West Virginia win that year. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. That wasn't I wouldn't say that was revenge for 13 to 9, but it was it was close. Eh. It made me feel good. I'm sure it did. Brian, what was your most heartbreaking defeat? Well, I'm not from here. Grew up in Baltimore, as you may know. Don't hate me. When we lost the Colts as a 10-year-old didn't oh. have to do with the game when they took the whole damn team. <laughs> I'm, I'm in pajamas crying because sometime at 12 midnight, these guys rolled them out on Mayflower trucks, and I wake up and my football team's gone. 10-year-old boy in Colts pajamas. Yeah, I think that one wins. I was screaming. I was asking my mom, why? Why? My mom's trying to tell me, well, it's just what happens. No. No, Mom. It's not just, it's what, just happens. what happens. No, it's just what happened, but it's not just what happens. Ever since then, hated Ursay. Again, I'm a Baltimore fan, so another time, 96, when uh, that jackrod, Jeffrey Mayer, pulled the Jeter home run ball. Good catch. And the ALDS pulled it over the wall, took away the, or gave him a, gave him a home run. Ozent went on to lose that series, and uh, yeah, life was never the same. Now we suck. Everything sucks. God, why do you bring up memories? I know this is bad. If you want to have your moment, get it off your chest. 412-922-2874. Coming up next, Adam Barry covers the Pirates from MLB.com. He'll talk to us a little bit about what the Pirates have done through the first quarter of the season. We've got some over-unders to get to because gambling's legal, sort of, uh, at 440. You're listening to The Crowley Show. You know what? If you want to call the police to get rid of a snapping turtle, I get it. 
Maybe it's time for you to come out of your shell. Failed to mention this earlier on the show, but Doug Kazarian from ESPN is going to be joining us at 5 o'clock to clear up some of the misconceptions about the legalized sports betting. Can't wait for that. Right now, though, Adam Barry, which I also can't wait for, joins us on the program. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Uh, Adam, of course, from MLB.com, covers the Pirates. And through the first 40 games of the season, Adam, uh, as you are trapped in a wind tunnel, uh, what has been the most surprising thing for you? I think it's probably just the depth and overall health of the lineup. I think, you know, when you look at the names, you know, they're pretty impressive on paper for the most part. You know, you see Starling Marte coming back as a guy who's done some things. Gregory Polanco, we all expected a step forward, which you've gotten on the whole this season. He obviously had the, the two-week stretch that was really bad. Uh, you know, Josh Bell, you expected more from, but I, I think it's, you know, Corey Dixon coming in, being as good as he's been. It's Colin Moran coming in and, and doing the same thing. You know, it's just really added depth to the overall lineup. I don't know if we expected the Pirates outfield to lead the NL and OPS, you know, a quarter way into the season, but that's where they are right now. And I, I think that really speaks to the depth overall that they have uh, in the lineup because the pitching staff has been more or less what we expected. You know, some good starts, some bad starts from the young guys, some good and some bad from Yvonne Nova a little bit of everything from the bullpen outside of uh, Felipe. Uh, so the lineup really has been the strength of the team, and I think you have to consider that a surprise just considering how you know bad and down the rankings they were last year offensively. Adam, has Corey Dickerson been the team's MVP this year? Uh, you could really make an argument for Cervelli, I think. Uh, otherwise, I would definitely go with Dickerson. Cervelli's done so many impressive things offensively in addition to kind of holding the staff together on a nightly basis behind the plate. I uh, didn't expect this kind of power. He's a guy I forgot to mention in the first question where the health really just sets everything in place. When he could be on the field, he's going to be productive. I don't know if you're going to see this kind of power all season, but you know he's a, a good offensive player when he's healthy, which he hasn't been the last two years like he was in 2015. Beyond that, though, it's definitely Dickerson. There were so many questions after the second half he had with the Rays. Could he bounce back and into kind of that all-star form? Could he hold his own in left field here? And he's been by some metrics, one of the better defensive outfielders in the majors this year. So there's definitely an argument for Dickerson. There's an argument for uh, for Cervelli as well. Those two guys have really contributed to most of the success that this team has had so far. Adam Barry covers the Pirates for MLB.com. Uh, Adam, be careful out there, man. What's going on? Are you, are you cutting people off in traffic? No, I'm right outside of the press box. I'm oh. surprised. I, I, went, I go to the most quiet area out of the way of the elements that I possibly can. You might be hearing traffic behind me, I guess. That, that's got to be it. Today on General Robinson Street. I am ju- I'm just relieved that you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Don't okay. worry about me. Okay, very good. Uh, Adam Barry with us here on the show. Uh, I think if you're a Pirates fan, you have to be encouraged that even if Cervelli were to come back down to earth a little bit, even if Dickerson's to come back down to earth a little bit, I think you still expect a little bit more from Polanco. I think you expect more from Bell, and they should be getting Josh Harrison back uh, shortly here. Yeah, they've kind of got everything in in a good place as far as that goes, that you do hope that, like, all right, if some guys come back down to earth, you expect more out of Bell, you expect more out of Adam Frazier, and like you mentioned, Harrison coming back. You know, even Jordy Mercer is kind of off to his usual slow start before he'll have a hot streak in the summer, as he pretty much always does. I think you'll see Polanco kind of find his level a little bit instead of fluctuating so wildly. And Starling Marte has been kind of the rock of the team offensively, just, you know, pretty consistently good so far. So that's kind of what you're looking for, that, 
you're not battling team-wide slumps all at the same time. That's been an issue the last couple of years. And the other thing is just, uh, like I mentioned, that health, that, you know, they have this depth in place that when they do take guys out of the lineup, you know, when Hurdle gives the guys rest or whatever, you're putting in Diaz, who's been also off to a great start offensively. You know, or you're putting in David Freeze, who, you know, does this thing against lefties really well and plays a solid third base. So, you know, that's why the health is just overall the most important thing they've got going because it's a fine enough bench as it is right now. But as you saw the last two years, when they had to reach down further to go get guys and start playing guys who should be reserved on an everyday basis, that's where you run into trouble. So, you know, everything so far has been a really pleasant surprise, dude, just really in large part through the health. And they're going to get another guy healthy here with Harrison and another guy with Joe Musgrove who's going to come join the rotation, you know, in about a week or so. Let's talk a little bit about Musgrove. They are going to put him in the rotation. Uh, I have called for Nick Kingham to be in the rotation, and, of course, he doesn't pitch all that well in double-A last night. But uh, is that the route that they're going to go? It's going to be Musgrove, and then they're still going to wait and see with Nick Kingham. Well, Kingham's going to start Saturday, uh, you know, if everything goes according to plan. That was why he started in Altoona last night, is to be on track for that start Saturday against the Padres. And then, yeah, I would suspect that they bump him back down to triple-A. You don't want, you need somebody down in triple-A as your sixth starter, your spot starter, your second game of a doubleheader guy. And, you know, Kingham has really earned his way up here, but he might have to be that guy just because they don't feel like it's time to bump anybody else out of the rotation, and they feel Musgrove deserves every chance. So he would be lined up. He's going to start Friday in Indy. He'd be lined up to start, I guess, it's the 23rd in Cincinnati, maybe the day after that. And I think they're going to give him every chance, just because, you know, if they went out and they got him as a starter, they like the depth of the arsenal. You know, he throws a lot of different pitches. Uh, as a guy with, you know, postseason success in the Astros' bullpen. So, yeah, I think Kingdom is kind of going to be in that awkward Jose Osuna limbo where – you're good enough to be in the majors, but there are guys in front of you keeping you from there. And it's not a bad place to be organizationally if you have more depth than you can fit in the majors. That was the problem the last couple of years is that they didn't have the guys to plug those holes, and now they do. So I know it's frustrating for somebody like you to not pick Kingham up here. And, you know, if somebody keeps struggling in the rotation, then, yeah, they do need to make a decision on that. But for now, it's not a bad place to be to have six starters you can count on. Uh, as for Musgrove, and you kind of went into it a little bit, but why do they have faith that this guy is not going to be the guy who who was last year in the rotation in Houston and maybe more along the lines of what he showed in the bullpen. Yeah, I think it's the arsenal, it's the fastballs that he throws. You know, maybe maybe he, this is a guy that fits better with their pitching philosophy than Houston for all the talk of the Garrett Cole uh, stuff going the other way. You know, he pounds the bottom of the zone. You've seen on his rehab assignments, if you look at the pitching lines, it's so efficient that they've had to get him extra work in the bullpen or have him go extra innings. They want to see that continue when he comes up here. He throws a lot of different pitches. It's a lot of weapons for Cervelli to work with behind the plate. He's a big athletic guy with that old downhill plane, downhill angle that they love, you know, to get ground balls, work quickly. Uh, so it's just a guy that they've liked for a while. They saw some things in the bullpen that they think can carry into his work as a starter. That was something Musgrove talked about really from day one of spring training. The issue is going to be getting him through the course of the season healthy, as we've seen has been the issue. And then also it's a guy who threw, what, 90 innings last season? They do believe still, especially with young pitchers, and not stretching them out too far beyond their career limit. So it's going to be interesting to watch how they manage him uh, and his workload as you get into the second half, considering the time that he's missed and the injury concerns and then just the, the history of not pitching that many innings of the season. Adam Barry joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Adam, do you think that the success that Trevor Williams has had is sustainable? 
To a certain extent, yes. I do believe he's going to be a guy who pitches above his stuff and maybe above some of his peripherals in kind of like a Matt Cain, you know, early 2010s Giants type of way. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're going to see the home runs have already caught up with him the last couple of times out, especially that last start in Chicago where he gave up the two, uh, two-run homers. That kind of stuff usually does catch up with you over the course of a long season. But uh, it's a guy who knows how to pitch, as cliche as that is. You know, he works with what he has, and he's very good with it. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be a three ERA guy, but it wouldn't surprise me if he put up number two, number three type numbers, uh, you know, in, in the rotation over the course of a full season. You know, even when he did give up those two homers or he has a long inning or whatever, he does generally find a way to battle back. I'd say that naturally on the eve of one of the starts where everything could go haywire, but from what we've seen so far in his career, it's been a guy who's pitched better than his stuff and really better than some of his peripheral numbers. You do want to see the strikeouts pick up a little bit just because it's easier to, you know, that's a, that's the best kind of out you can get. But, you know, he's a guy who puts the ball on the ground. It's soft contact. He's got a pretty good arsenal, knows how to use his fastballs. So, yeah, I don't think this is necessarily unsustainable, what he's done so far. We've seen some good and some bad from Tyler Glass now. Uh, after watching Garrett Cole go off to Houston and have all the success that he's having, is it fair to wonder if the Pirates are screwing Glass now up a little bit? Uh, I mean, you could say that, but it's also like, We've seen these issues coming for Glass now. It's control. He's sure. a very different guy than Garrett Cole. Cole was more of a pitch, uh, you know, use thing that he, we're seeing the benefits of in Houston, and that's an organizational philosophy, not a Ray Searage thing. Glass now is just a big dude with long limbs who has never really commanded his pitches on a consistent basis. So if they can get anything out of him and, and make him into even an effective major league reliever, I think you almost consider that a little bit of a success just given the struggles that he's had because – I don't necessarily view those two situations as comparable just because Glasnow's issues going back to, you know, really when he was a young minor leaguer and Garrett's really just the last two years haven't been completely similar. You know, Cole always had command. It just wasn't necessarily didn't live up to his stuff. Glasnow is having a hard time getting to his stuff because of command. And that's more of an individual mechanical thing than an overall philosophy, a philosophical situation, uh, which is what Garrett's issue was. So, I don't necessarily know if they would get uh, the same level of criticism because I think, first and foremost, it falls on Tyler Glass now to command his pitches sure and repeat his delivery. And he's shown flashes, but never really consistently uh, of his ability to do that. Up and down for Jamison Tyone so far. They need him to be consistent every time he goes out, just based on, I think, uh, the high beta nature of some of the other guys they have in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. They need him to be that number one type guy because. You're right. It's very high beta for Chad Cool, for Ivan Nova. Some nights you're going to get, you know, eight innings, one run out of Nova. Some nights you're going to get, well, you got the other start. Uh, you know, where it's just a rocket, basically everything off the bat. You do want to see Cool step up as well into maybe that mid-rotation guy. The Pirates love his stuff. Francisco Cervelli says he has the nastiest stuff on the team. But, again, it's a command and maybe pitch usage issue for Chad Cool, where you want to see him utilize that slider, that curveball more often to, you know, to try to get the swing and miss instead of focusing on, pitching the contact or, you know, pounding the zone with fastballs. But I agree, Tyone, it, it needs to be that number one type guy because somebody needs to be that stabilizing presence in the rotation where you can say, all right, six innings every time out, good, good to go. Don't have to worry about that. Because it, it sounds like they're considering going back to a traditional seven-man bullpen, five-man bench, uh, you know, for uh, some sort of duration here uh, once they get uh, a fifth starter back up here soon. So that can't 
be putting the stress on the bullpen quite the same way they have so far this season, especially as you're moving these young guys into roles like they're going to replace, uh, you know, essentially replace George Contos by committee in the eighth inning. So you need to have innings out of the rotation consistently, getting guys a third time through the order even. And I think that starts first and foremost with Jamison Tyone. Last thing here for you, Adam. This stretch to me seems really big for the Pirates. If they could win seven out of the next nine games against some bad ball clubs, they could put themselves at 30-19, and 19, and then it makes you feel like they're not really going to go away in terms of that wild card race. Is that what the prediction has to be? Is that what, I guess, I suppose, is that what they should be hoping for at this point, uh, going seven and two over these next nine? Certainly hoping for, yeah, because then the schedule gets a little bit crueler with the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, who are really good, and the Cardinals, who have shown some things so far this season. I hate putting numbers on it just because baseball is so random that, you know, like some nights the White Sox can beat the Indians, and, you know, that's just what happens. The White Sox might win a game here. It doesn't really mean the sky is falling or anything like that. But, yeah, you do want to have winning series more than anything when you do have these teams who are below 500. You need to take the series. Uh, against teams that you can beat. And that was the problem, again, hearkening back to problems the last couple of years, is like they couldn't beat the Reds. These are the teams you need to, you know, dominate on. You need to take series and then just hold your ground the rest of the way once that schedule gets a little tougher. So, yeah, even though the, the opponents may not catch your eyes necessarily, this is still a pretty important stretch for the team to, again, establish themselves as, uh, you know, contenders. Because when you get to that, like you said, 30 and 19, you have some margin for error, too. You know, right. a three-game losing streak doesn't mean the sky is falling like it might have earlier this season when we saw the Pirates bounce up and down, you know, various outlets' power rankings. Uh, you know, so that gives you some margin for error. So I do agree this is an important stretch for them. Hey, really appreciate the time, Adam. Always love having you on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm going to get out of whatever dangerous area I'm apparently in now. Yeah, be careful out there, man, please. <laughs> All right, see you, man. There he goes, Adam Barry, MLB.com, covering the Buckos. This just popped up on my Twitter feed, College Football Talk. The AD of Michigan wants Jim Harbaugh to remain at Michigan until he retires. Yeah, so does the Ohio State Athletic Director. Yeah. Coming up next, Pirates predictions at the quarter mark. We know where they are now. Where will they be? Tom and Brian weigh in. And we go around the bags. It's the Crowley Show. I was driving in my car and I smelled a number five with fries. Hadn't stopped for lunch, made me realize it was just my ride. But with the new breeze car, I got it under control. Never come in light or bold. Choose how you roll. Febreze car, roll with me and breathe happy Febreze. Hey, Tom, you going to buy your girlfriend a pregnancy test? Why is that? Because you probably should after that story. Oh, I was just going to say, well, that. And if she's anything like you, she's late. That's a good one. Yeah! Wow. What are you referring to? It's good. Tom was late for the show meeting today. If I'm late for the show meeting ever, I have to run my boards for the day. Which means I do what Tom does and do what I do, and it would be bad. It would be very bad. Hilarious, but very bad for me. Degree of difficulty would shoot up a thousand percent. We did not have a punishment set for Tom if he was going to be late for the show meeting. 
So I've asked you, the listening audience, what do you think the punishment for Tom should be for being late? And let me reiterate, he had to be there at 2, wasn't there. Said he'd be in by 2.30 and didn't make it by 2.30. So we're punishing him doubly. Braden tweets, old man haircut, like bald on top, hair on the sides and back. Like a cul-de-sac. Yep. That's not bad. I like it. Not bad I think at all. we might have found our winner, boys. Well, no, I don't think that's the one, because if uh, Tom likes it, then we're, it's not uh, a punishment. Uh. We only got four submissions so far. John says instead of being shirtless, Tom, you should be pantless, Tom, but that's a punishment for us. Yeah, I don't want to look at that. No. Q Nice says at underscore Adam Crowley, halter top, Tom. Well, we got shirtless, Tom, already, so there's yeah. really nothing there. No, there's no embarrassment there. He would just hold his breasts into a nice... Location yeah, and the fact is he likes he likes things hanging out. I mean, he likes wearing mm-hmm. no shirt. It's it, summer. It's, yeah, yeah, that's what he keeps saying to us. And he says no talking for the entire show. Again, not so much punishment for Tom, but for us because we like Tom to be on the program. Yeah, and the whole thing is is that we try to prep for the show. He was late for that meeting, so holding him back from talking would actually hurt the show. That would punish us. Not not a fan of that either. Agreed. I like the I like the creativity coming out of people though. I do, but do better. At underscore Adam Crowley, 412-922-2874. You guys ready for some Pirates predictions? Let's do it. We're a quarter of the way through the season, and I hate when people say this. Oh, it's the quarter poll. No, it's not. The quarter poll would be after three-fourths of the season. People do that wrong all the time. So F you, it's the quarter mark, not the quarter poll. Happy we figured that out. I'm going to give some over-unders. Gambling. Uh, It's back. Will Corey Dickerson finish the season hitting over 300? That's the question. Tom, he's hitting 319 right now. I'll take the under. Oh! Brian. I got to go under. Oh! Look, he's playing great, but I, I can't expect it to sustain at this point. Yeah, it's a smart bet to go under. He wouldn't have to sustain it. He would have to sustain 300. He's done it twice in a season before. I was surprised to see that. And he's never done it when he plays more than 140 games, however. He's a career 282 hitter. I was going to go under, but since you both went under, I'm taking the over, baby. 301 for Corey Dickerson. How about that? <laughs> Going the lowest over possible. Yeah. Nice. Will Cervelli, who's played 32 games, play over 120 this year? He's done it just once in his career, and it was the first season with the Pirates. He played 130 with the Bucks. I got to go under on that one. It's just a smart bet. You got to look at the history of this. Yeah, I agree with him. There, there's a cloud over the guy for some reason when it comes to injury. I Something's going to happen. Don't want it to, but if I'm laying money down on it, I got to go with that. Under. I'm going over. Oh, come on, man. I should do mine first and then go to you guys. <laughs> uh, this sucks. I can't. We can't all be doing the same thing. We can. I mean, this isn't like across the street where we fabricate arguments just because that's what we do. I mean, oh, I'm uh, telling you right now that he's going to play in more than 120 games. You're wrong. No, I'm right. You're I'm wrong. You, I'm wrong. You're wrong. You. You're wrong. Joe and Blonox, you're on the air. Well, hey, guys, uh, I think Cervelli in no, his career, no, he's no, only played no, 130 no, games. No, we don't time. need you. We don't need you. Do you we don't need you. There's this no stats. No, 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 no. Go away. We don't need him. Get the hell out of here, Stat Pat. Oh. Go back to your cave. How the hell did he even get in here? I don't know. We got to fix the lock. Yeah. 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 This is ridiculous. Stat Pat. 
Marte is projected to hit 24 home runs right now. His career high is 19. He's got six through 40 games played. Does he surpass his career high of 19 this year, Tom? Oh, I'm taking the over on that. He'll definitely get to 20 this year. Brian? Yeah, I'm I'm actually got him at about 25. No! Ah! I'm going under. Then I'll tell you why. He's off the juice. Is he? He might be. I mean, I'm asking. I don't know. Is he? It's a fair question. I'm going to go under because he hasn't done it before. And even though he's hit six, we've seen stretches of any player in the league. Like Jose Castillo one time hit seven home runs in seven games. It happens. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you hit a few out. I'm going under for Starling Marte. 18 or below, I say. Tom, save this segment so we can laugh at ourselves later on in the year. Oh, I know. Josh Bell has three home runs. Three in 40 games. He's been a huge disappointment. He had 26 last year in 159 games. My question to Yins, does he get to 20 this year? Yes, over. Yeah, gets to 20 for sure. Going under. He's got to, he's got to hit 17 more over the course of the season. I shouldn't let you guys go first. You're going under on that? I'm going to go under. You don't have to bet against us. I'm going to go under. It seems to be what you're doing this No, I don't, I don't know why you, you feel you like you bet. guys. I don't think I don't want to skip ahead too far you're in not the reading show, me here. but like, maybe you need some of my advice from later in the show on gambling. Don't bet with your heart, man. Just bet with what you think. Tom is going to teach us all things gambling coming up at 540. Uh, in 10 minutes here on the Crowley Show, I guess this is big. I should probably tease this. Doug Kazarian... From ESPN, he hosts a Behind the Bets podcast. He'll be joining us to talk about legalized sports gambling. So really a lot in the 5 o'clock hour is going to hinge on the gambling side of things. As it is, I suppose, right now, too. Nick Kingham has pitched two games for the Buckos this year. Set to pitch number three on Saturday. Does he pitch 12 this year for the Pirates? Under. I'll take the under on that one. You want me to go now? Or are you sure? You can go. Okay. Under. Absolutely under. No question about that. Laying my wad down on it. What are you going to go? Holy crap. I Brian's really all in on this. I actually think it is going to be over. And not just to be the contrarian, but he's going to get four starts or so, three starts maybe, in September. So that'll bring him to, what, six after this. And someone's going to get hurt. And if anybody gets hurt, he's the guy. So bang, boom, bang, I'm going to be right, you're going to be wrong, you're going to be wrong, I'm the best, hell yeah! Jameson Tyon has an ERA of 408. Will he have an ERA under 4 for this season? Tom? He will have an ERA over 4 for the season. Oh! I'm off the JMO train. He's. I think I'm done with him. For the first time, I'm going to disagree with Tom. I'm going to yeah. go under. I think he's going to be high threes, but I think he goes under 4. His career ERA is 399. It's in there for JMO. He's got to have the bust out. He's had a 3-5 ERA one year. I do believe we'll see it be at least under four, uh, if not hovering around the 3-5 margin. Last one here for you, boys. Gregory Polanco's hitting 226. His career average is 250. Does he hit higher than 250 this year? Under. 243. Under as well. i got to go back to agreeing with Tom. You're going over, aren't you? That's a big... Rut to pull yourself out of. <laughs> nice. It is. But if anybody can do it, it's Gregory <laughs> Polanco. So I'm saying over, baby.
Around the bag. It's time to go around the bags with the biggest D-bag on the Pittsburgh Airwaves, Adam Crowley. I once got to... First base. Thanks solely to Truth or Dare. It's the pitch to contact bowl tonight at PNC Park as Trevor Williams takes on Ronaldo Lopez. Lopez has just 31 strikeouts in 44 innings. Last time out against the Bucks, he walked two and struck out two over seven in the third. For the Bucks, Williams has struck out 29 ugh, in 46 innings. He gave up two home runs against the White Sox when they last played. Can't wait to see some balls put in play and knocked out of the yard tonight, boys. Woo! I once got to second base in my closet with my parents outside. May 18th, be with you. The Pirates are holding Star Wars night 14 days after Star Wars Day. I screwed that up, didn't I? I'm just trying to do the math. May the 18th be with you. The Pirates are holding Star Wars night 14 days after Star Wars Day. I've got a bad feeling about this. I once got to... Oh, boy. Third base. I once got to... Oh, boy. The guy that I want in the Pirates rotation, Nick Kingham, was sent to double-A Altoona in order to not screw with his scheduled day to pitch. He got smacked around in the lower level, gave up four runs on seven hits in five innings. Ooh. Josh Harrison, incidentally, went 0 for 3 with a walk in his rehab start. One time when I was... Going for home. My sister walked in. And has a beanbag couch. It was disgusting. You know what I called that thing, Tom? What'd you call it? The love sack. The Pirates' schedule is one that they need to take advantage of over the next week or so. They got the White Sox at 10 and 27. The Padres at 16 and 26. The Reds at 14 and 27. I keep saying this, but I want to be the guy on record here. The Pirates go 7 and 2 in this stretch. They're right there in a wild card hunt. If they're 6 and 3 in this stretch, they're right there in the wild card hunt. That's, uh, you gotta be careful with those two words back to back. If they go five and four, though, they're done. Dunzo. Bad. Not good. We'll see what happens. Should we do third base since we missed third base before? Okay. One time, I got to third base with my parents right outside the closet. That was the same one as the uh, second base one. Uh, And I still have to do the math. They're really gross. I mean, when you're young and in love, what are you going to do? Nothing can hold you back. Uh, so, spoiler alert, I forgot to write the intros for the uh, Around the Bags, so I just had to apply it to my own life. Hi! That does it for another edition of Around the Bags. If you're a betting man, I hope you took out a second mortgage and put it all on Adam. He's hot! Adam wins! Adam wins! Coming up next... I'm excited about it. Doug Kazarian from ESPN, host of Behind the Bets podcast. It's the Crowley Show.
The 5th Annual Vulture Festival is here. The pop culture extravaganza is May 19th and 20th at Milk Studios in New York City. Vulture Festival brings the sharp, irreverent voice of Vulture to life with conversations, panels, screenings, performances, and live podcasts. Featuring Tracy Morgan, Samantha B, Claire Danes, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and more. Live podcasts, Throwing Shade, Dr. Game Show, Las Culturistas, and Boozy Brunch with your best friends, Phoebe Robinson, Gillian Jacobs, and more. For tickets and information, visit VultureFestival.com. I really want to see Deadpool. Two. Yeah. Well, that just doesn't need to be said. I haven't seen the first one. Dude, you got to watch that. I watched it last night. I did too. You watched it last night too? As soon as the game, as soon as the uh, basketball game was Me over. too. Dude, we were like watching it together. Oh. How late did you stay Dude, up? Do you want to watch it together tonight? That's what she 